at the beginning of every episode, I try to record a different opening, and I always just end up back at, hello friends, and welcome to episode 693 of the Juicebox podcast. It's classic. Today, Jenny's back for chapter 17 of Ask Scott and Jenny, and I think this is the last Ask Scott and Jenny for a little while. So dig in and enjoy. Please remember while you're listening to Jenny and I that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're interested in hiring Jennifer, she works at IntegratedDiabetes.com. Also, if you have type 1 diabetes and are a U.S. resident or are the caregiver of a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes, you can go to T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, take the survey, help people living with type 1 diabetes. It's completely HIPAA compliant, absolutely anonymous, and supports not only people living with type 1, but the Juice Box Podcast. And I'm the Juice Box Podcast, so you'd be helping me out. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box takes fewer than 10 minutes. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by US Med. Go to usmed.com forward slash juice box or, or call 888-721-1514. Whether you go to the link or call the number, you're going to be chatting with US Med and finding out about your benefits. That's right. You get a free benefits check at that phone number or at the link. The podcast is also sponsored today by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. InPen is an insulin pen that does a lot of stuff that a pump does when you pair it with the app that comes with it, and it's pretty darn tootin' nice. Check it out at InPenToday.com. I'll be talking more about InPen and US Med a little later in the show. You don't want to miss it, because it's late at night here where I'm recording, and I'm probably going to say something stupid. That's the thing that happens when I'm tired. Hey, Jenny, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Scott? Good. We're going to do more Ask Scott and Jenny today. Oh, yay. Yeah. People tell me we seem very relaxed and happy while we're doing these. I hear They that. could see our faces. We are pretty happy people, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. We don't really frown too much. <laughs> I, I just, uh, somebody told me that we seem like it's fun. And I said, it is fun. And then I thought, oh, God, are we like diabetes dorks? Like, we're just having fun, like, going like, <laughs> right. oh, that's an interesting question. Let's think about it for a second. Right. Uh, so apparently that's what that's what we are. Um, all right, let's just start, uh, let's start here. At there the are a lot of questions. There so. are a ton of questions, right? Um, which one do I like to start with? All right, here's a very simple one. What number do you correct at during the night? Ah. So do you think this question comes from people who were pretty much told not to correct their high blood sugars at all? I would say maybe it started there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is certainly something that's still taught not to correct. I think sometimes it's in the beginning stages, maybe after diagnosis, because they're still trying to sort of figure out how much insulin works. And in a time period where you're 
supposed to be sleeping. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a worrisome thing to have to sit up and wait to see what happens when you take extra insulin. But honestly, it, it kind of boils down to knowing that your settings are right. It's Mm -hmm. knowing how insulin works for you. How much does it take for this amount of insulin to do the job? And overnight, I mean, unless you talked about a lot of the variables we've already talked about, things like pizza and fat and blah, 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 um, or exercise overnight, if you've got your insulin sensitivity factor pretty dialed in, you should be able to correct a value and take the dose. If you're using a pump first, you should be able to take the correction offered and it should get you to the target that you've got set in your pump or pretty close to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think in terms of defining a number, it also starts with defining what's the target you're aiming to sit at. Yeah. If you are comfortable at 110, then you're probably not going to be correcting a 115, mm-hmm. right? But if you really want to sit at 85, then you're probably going to correct the 110 mm-hmm. to be able to get down to that. So I see this question like coming from two different perspectives. So if you were to ask me, where would you correct a blood sugar? I would tell you it wouldn't matter if it was overnight or during the day or if we were in a car ride or at the top of, you know, a mountain. Um, although the top of a mountain, maybe it would because. <laughs> there would be some differences. Yeah, there. there'd be differences there. So this is a bad example. Um, but, you know, Jenny makes the point already. If you trust your settings, then you could correct a 95 blood sugar without making yourself low, right? Correct. Um and Arden's using a DIY loop. So, I mean, her loop is correcting at 90, you, mm-hmm. you know, like, so there's yeah. the answer. If your settings are super tight and you know what's going to happen is going to happen, then you can correct anything. But I tend to think that this question comes from people who are maybe more um, new to the podcast, maybe, or mm-hmm. or have are seeing like wildly out of control blood sugars. I I read this question as what number is high enough that I put in insulin, I'm not going to make a low blood sugar later. And right. I, I have to tell you, I think the answer to that question is go listen to the pro tips so that that stuff doesn't happen to you. Agreed. At least yeah. not all the time or yeah. often, right? right? I, I mean, it, those random... I. We talked not long ago and I was like, I had this horrible high blood sugar overnight and I didn't hear my alarms. And you know what? I mean, things like that, they can and and will happen. Mm-hmm. But overall, as I've said, and as the pro tips defin- definitely cover, it's if, if you know that your settings work well and you're not happy with the number that you see when you wake up to go to the bathroom at night or your alarm goes off or something. Right you should be able to correct that number and get to the one that you really want to sit at. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily defining what number to correct above. It starts with where do you want to be? And if you're not there, do you know that taking extra insulin to get you there will do it without causing a low? Yeah. Now, some practical thoughts from me on this would be if you see a 200 blood sugar and you aren't sure how to safely bring it back to 90 if that's your goal, at least whack something out of it. Like throw in something. Like if you could make a 190, 150, well, better than 190, right? Right. You you know, take something out of it. Put in 
put in some sort of a bolus. And actually, these moments are where you really learn because I can't tell you what number to correct at or how much to correct. But if you right. do it over and over again, you know, you could look at that 190, a stable 190 at two o'clock in the morning, put a half a unit on it as an example, and it ends up being 170. And you think, okay, well, well I wonder what would happen if I put a unit on it. Maybe it would end up being 140. You, you know, right. you're going to learn from trial and error. Um, so, that's it. It's a roundabout way of answering that question, but I think there's more. I think there's more good, good, good usable thoughts in there than there is. Um, I mean, I can't tell you what number to correct at. That just correct. Seems, that seems like something. That seems like something a newer diagnosed person would ask a, an endo, and then the endo would pick some huge number that they thought there's no way they could make a low out of. You know, correct. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, it's an interesting question. It says. When you do the thing that you know is going to happen and it doesn't happen over and over <laughs> again, how do you adjust to the new normal? And and the question ends with, is it just time? So I think the question here is, you know, uh, I've been using a unit to make a 150, 100 for a year, and now all of a sudden it's not working. How long until I, I assume it needs more insulin in that example? I mean, I, I would go about it the same way. I address a lot of adjustments that I work on with women in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Three days, we have a trend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's make a change because something clearly has, it, it's not working the same way any longer, right? Um, I think a lot of times if you have been stable for a really long time, it can seem almost like something else must be the problem, mm -hmm. right? Maybe my insulin went bad or it's got to be a bad site or something else was the issue. Yeah. It's It can't be that my setting has all of a sudden just needed a change, mm -hmm. right? But it could be. I mean, we know that diabetes is not this, you get to a point and everything just sits there, right? Yeah. If it was, man, that would be a lot easier to all, test things and be like, great, I'm done for life. Now I just have to count my carbs. That's the whole, it. The whole podcast would be about how to get to that point. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, cruise, um, yeah. so yeah, I, I mean, a couple of days of a trend, as long as you've considered variables, mm -hmm. so, you know, even illness in the picture or a change in your schedule, um, a change in your sleep schedule could certainly mean, and we talked about sleep a little bit before that interrupts your sensitivity to insulin, um, more to the case of being a little less sensitive than more sensitive. Um, so if there aren't any known variables in the picture, nothing that you've really changed, then I expect that you probably need to retest and say, okay, one unit doesn't drop me a hundred points anymore. I guess I'm going to have to use a little bit more. I'm going to change my ratio or yeah. my normal sandwich at lunchtime or salad used to take two units of insulin. And now I'm getting higher or lower maybe mm -hmm. after, and it's been a couple of days. Yeah. Change I, a ratio. In my mind, I'd, I'd look at, so the first thing I always do is I go to gaps of time where there are no uh, active meals or active boluses. And I look for stability because that's, kind of, that's how I think about basil. Yep. Like basil should Basil should be pretty easy to check in those moments, especially if, you, if you have a CGM is, I, <clears throat> I guess what I'm saying. So if I find stability in those moments and that stability exists at a number I'm happy with, I think, okay, then basil's good. Maybe this is just carb ratio. Um, 
you know, maybe I'm not pre-bolusing enough all of a sudden. Like, who knows? Like, that's where right. I, I would end up looking after that. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And as far as time goes, I don't know. I mean, if three days seems to be the standard for people, you, you know, I am. Um, and the and the question is specifically about once it's set in stone that this is new. So, yeah, I mean, three days is reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. You know? And I would say within that defined time period that you're analyzing, it's not like when I notice things that change, it's not that I'm just letting things sit higher or lower to actually see. I'm adjusting within that time period so that I'm not left consistently high or consistently too low. And sometimes enough of those changes within the analysis time period gives you a good vision then for how to change the rate or the ratio right. by day three, let's say. And I say, just don't forget what you changed it from, because if magically a day or so later, it turns out you were sick and or something like that, and you didn't know it, you don't want to forget what your ratios were so you can go back to them because that has happened to me before. I'm like, wait, it worked before. What was it? <laughs> right. Look at the what did I change it from? I was, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I, um, I'm getting a new phone and I was going back through all of my pictures and I'm amazed how many of my like screenshot photos mm-hmm. are of my, like diabetes stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> I changed this to this or look at this super awesome, like completely just flat day or whatever. I was <laughs> like, away. I was away for a few days and we had to change Arden's insulin sensitivity. And I said, screenshot those, send them to me and then change them because yeah. You know, I'm not going to remember mm-hmm. either of you. Ooh, here's an interesting one. Well, here's one thing that I know for sure. If you have diabetes, you need to get supplies. And a lot of the places where you get supplies are, um, they're not a lot of fun to get supplies from. But at US Med, They take their A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau very seriously. They want you to get better service and better care. U.S. Med has been serving people with diabetes since 1996, and they've helped over 1 million people. Arden's Omnipod 5 just arrived the other day from U.S. Med. It was very, 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 very smooth and effortless process. I really, um, I gotta say, I didn't miss that other place where we used to get the stuff from. Anyway... I'm not going to say anything more about other places. Let's tell you about U.S. Med. Number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. Number one distributor for Freestyle Libre systems nationwide. The number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash. The number one rated distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. What do you think of that? Always, always, always do you get 90 days worth of supplies from U.S. Med and they offer you fast and free shipping. They're going to have everything from your insulin pumps, your diabetes testing supplies, and CGMs like the Libre 2 and Dexcom G6. I don't know what you're waiting for. USMed.com forward slash juice box or give them a call at 888-721-1514. Next up, another great sponsor. We're going to talk about the InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. I'm going to type into my browser, InPenToday.com. I'm going to hit enter. I'm just going to read the internet to you people. That's all you need to know is what you're going to see when you get to inpentoday.com. Right away, beautiful photography. (laughs) I know you don't care about that. Listen, 
take the right insulin dose at the right time. The InPen is a reusable smart insulin pen that uses Bluetooth technology to send dose information to a mobile app. Hmm, a mobile app? I wonder what they do there. Well, that mobile app offers support with dose calculations and tracking. InPen helps take some of the mental math out of your diabetes management. You're gonna be finding a dosing calculator, dose reminders, carb counting support, digital logbooks over there on that app. Do you understand what I'm saying to you right now? It's an application that goes on your phone, Android or iPhone, shows you everything right on one screen, current glucose, dose calculator, active insulin remaining, active insulin remaining. That sounds like an insulin pump kind of a thing, doesn't it? Ooh, look at you getting extra functionality out of your insulin pen. And it's a great pen. I don't need to tell you more. You're going to see it when you get there. InPenToday.com. You go there and then you make the clicky. Okay. Clicky, clicky, clicky. I'm going to read you something from the bottom of the page. Now, this is an offer that it says is only available to people with commercial insurance. It says offers available to people with commercial insurance. Terms and conditions apply. But how about this? Pay as little as $35 for the InPen. What? It says it right here. They do not want cost to be a roadblock to you getting the therapy you need. And with the InPen Access Program, you could pay as little as $35. You got to go take a look. Go see the thing. The, uh, the, the pictures. They're really nice pictures. Very colorful. InPenToday.com. I am now contractually obligated to say the following. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed, or you could experience high or low glucose levels. For safety information, visit InPenToday.com. If you knew how late it was here, you'd be impressed by that. It's going to sound very specific, but I think it's a bigger conversation. So uh, how do I manage pre-bolusing when I have gastroparesis? Sometimes it works great. Other times I stay low for over an hour. And by the time the food hits, I have no active insulin and I skyrocket. I never know when it's going to hit. So this is a question that I've actually been asked a handful of times over the years. And the first couple times somebody asked me, I thought, I don't know anything about gastroparesis. I can't answer this question. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I spent some time talking to people who have it. And my understanding loosely ended up being that sometimes I eat and my body starts to digest food. And so I get the impact that I expect and I'm, I know how to line up the insulin. And sometimes that food just sits in my stomach. It doesn't get digested. And like the question says, mm -hmm. I have all this active insulin. How do I know which is going to be which? And one time I said to somebody, oh, maybe you could try bolusing the way that I think of bolusing for infants and smaller people. Like get a little bit going. And then mm -hmm. when you see the impact, quick hurry up, throw the rest in. Um, mm -hmm. And I've never heard back from anybody that that didn't end up being uh, valuable for them. But I, I am wondering what you tell people. No, that it is similar because it's like a small child where you don't know exactly like they love their favorite plate of food and you put it down today and they eat three nibbles and they're kind of done. Yeah. Right. So it's a question of how much and when is it actually going to completely get digested in this case um, or absorbed, I should really say. Yeah. Um, and a time frame that may help as I've worked with a number of people with gastroparesis is that, on a more empty stomach, which for most people is first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. 
you're going to get more, more consistent absorption digestion because there's nothing, there's nothing left over in the stomach. By the morning. Right. By the morning time we have for the most part, this like cleared out system, if you will. Right. And the body is more likely to also, as everybody with diabetes experiences, want to get that food in mm-hmm. to get your body some energy to get going for the day. So if there is a time period of the day to expect a need for a real pre bolus because of sooner, quicker absorption of the food, it seems to be morning time. And then as the day rolls on and as you put more food, whether it's meals or meals and small snacks or whatever through the course of the day, it tends to be the end meal of the night that is often the hardest to gauge when to dose the insulin. Because by that point, with a with a slowed down digestion and absorption of the foods earlier, you've already still got stuff sitting there. Mm. So that may be in, in a timeline through the day may give some visual as to, or a structure, I guess, to looking at what this person might be seeing happen, saying, sometimes I seem to need the pre and it works just fine. And other times, maybe it's a time of the day okay, so to begin with. First kind of track that to see if you're seeing it more at one time a day than the other, possibly more right. likely at the end of the day, I guess, as the body's having... Uh, more and more food added and more and more trouble dealing right. with it. Okay. Right. Um, I mean, the other thing would be the case of also just trying to figure out your more typical foods. Mm-hmm. And if they are more causative to immediate need for pre-bolus, or I just have to follow this kind of a meal out. And as you said, put the insulin in, in a slow duration, um, you know, an extended bolus, for example, often works fairly well. If you've tracked enough around particular meals to know what their action seems to be like most often for you. Um, Is is this a mimicking of like pizza in a person who doesn't have gastro? Is it a similar or not? It's that's a similar thought. Okay. Um, Yes. I mean, not for the reason of fat. Sure, and the, sure. It's just a slowdown in the body's ability to re- digest the right way and absorb the food the right way to give the glycemic effect that you would expect yeah. from that particular food. I'm so. always kind of in the back of my mind when we're talking about timing. I, I always think, I always wonder how many people are listening, thinking I never considered that before. Mm-hmm. I just thought, I just thought it was just, you know, I count the carbs. This is the insulin for it. It all goes in. It all works out. Doctor told me to do it. It'll be fine. You, you know, instead right. of considering this. I, I mean, it's, um, I mean, for the people I've spoken to, it's a terrible thing to be afflicted with. It, it really, mm-hmm. it really sounds difficult. Another consideration that I know people have tried too is, you know, today's rapid acting insulins, while I don't love the name of them because they're not really rapid. Mm. <laughs> Right. Um, I mean, rapid is like, okay, right now it's done. It's working, but they are certainly more rapid than the R that I was on when I was first diagnosed. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the case of potentially needing that lingering effect of an insulin, some people actually do better with a regular insulin so that it's, it's creep out in action is longer in taking effect and again, timed right with meals that are well-planned or, or well-evaluated, almost like the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
that type of insulin could meet the food better okay. than a rapid insulin could. So go um, back to the old timey insulin. Sometimes could, that can work better. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, well, so good question. Yeah. yeah. Here's one. Um, how do I find a great CDE in my area who is open to all of these ideas and works well with teens? Um, I have, hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you first. What do you think people should be looking at when they're looking at doctors? From, uh, I'll give my adult perspective first. Mm-hmm. Um, adult perspective, when I call to get into a new endo office, some of my first questions include things like, how many type ones does your practice see? Oh, okay. Yeah. Comparative to type twos or other types of, of diabetes or other types of um, endocrine disorders, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you ha- may have an endocrine office, but they may be more heavily thyroid right. based. I mean, they may, you know, I, I would say dabble may be the word in diabetes only because that's in their realm, but they don't necessarily do that most. So that's a question I ask is what's your population of people with type one. And then what goes right along with that is how much technology do you do you use in your office? Mm -hmm. Do you use one pump? Are you recommending only one type of device? What type of data like evaluation software do you have? How can I send my information to you? How often are you going to get back to me? I have a lot of questions. I'm trying to really do better. I need somebody to answer questions weekly for me. Is there somebody in your office that can do that? Do you have um, another question about just the endocrine office? Do you have a CDE in your office? Do you have an educator who works physically in your office with your practice? Hmm. Um, Because again, then there's a little bit more collaboration in terms of the endo and that educator, they know each other. They're going to be more on the same page, if you will. You're not going to get information from one that's kind of contradicted by the other, (laughs) which can make your decisions hard then, because then you sort of feel like you're stepping on somebody's toes if you're going outside of what one recommended. It's it's a terrific response because I, because Arden still goes to a, you know, to a children's endo. Mm-hmm. I never, I, it's as you were saying, and I'm like, gee, Scott, that's so obvious. Like, how did you not think that? But it shocked me. I thought, oh, an endocrinologist might not be well versed in, di- in, even in diabetes, right? Like, it's, they could be doing, oh, anyway, you just, I was like, wow, that's such a great answer. I never thought yeah. of any of that. No, when yeah. we lived, when we moved to Northern Virginia or the DC area, and I was on the search for an endo there. I went through three endos before finding an endo who actually met my need Mm. because what were some of the reasons you didn't like the ones you found? Um, the initial, (laughs) the initial person just was not up to date. That's the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, they were just not up to date with keeping up with how people were managing today. They were very much, too old school. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second office was, it was not enough. They had technology, but they were very much toward one type of technology. Gotcha. 
and just really were not keen on the others. Not that they wouldn't allow prescribing, but they just didn't know enough about them. And that wasn't cool to me. So one of the, one of the, one of the companies sent really great bagels and pens that wrote really well. And so that was the pump they talked about. I got you. I got you. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And then the the office that I eventually ended up going with um, was, it was a small private practice, actually. It wasn't affiliated with any like hospital system or anything. mm -hmm. Um, And he just, he really, what got me with my first visit was that he took the time to sit down and ask about my life mm-hmm. and how I manage specific things. It wasn't just a a generalized visit. The 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 I, the things that you know that they need to know to actually answer your questions. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Not just you have what's your carb ratio. Right. What's your A1C? What's your carb ratio? Let me take your pump from you and physically touch your device and change everything and hand it back to you. Here you go. Run, run, run (laughs) from those offices. Eat healthy and exercise. (laughs) I'll see you in three months. Thank you. Yeah, you are. Uh, Well, I will uh, just throw in here that if you go to juiceboxdocs.com, there is a growing list of doctors that people who listen to the podcast send in. And if you have a doctor who fits the bill, please send it to me so I can add it to the list. Um, I would say for Arden, you know, we went with a big institution that was near to our house. Um, and I, I don't know, like I, I don't, I can't, I'm such a bad person to ask about this because I'm me. So I don't know how valuable right. it is or it isn't. I really couldn't tell you. I can tell you that I've been in situations where I've been asked to go talk to other patients, which is weird. And um, I off there are times I get asked more questions than I get to get asked in a in, yeah. a, in a visit. So um, sometimes my answer is, if you know what you're doing, good doctors are the ones that stay out of your way and write you the scripts when you need them, and can support and discuss especially if you've come prepared to a visit Mm -hmm. to talk about, I've made these changes. These are, these are the reasons that I figured out how and why to make these changes. Do you see anything else? Do you think I'm on the right track? And if you've got a good doctor who can sit down with you and go back and forth and discuss, then you've got somebody who, you know, is good. Right. If not, and all they really just want to do is look at data without any explanation to it, then. Hey, hey, I find value in the fact that Arden's doctor can do her A1C and it goes through my insurance. Okay. And we don't have to go to another lab to do it. Like to me, that's like a bonus. Yeah. Um, But I would say, I mean, I would say we've covered it here, but how do you find a a doctor that's going to work well with teens it's you're going to talk to them and see if it works well and if it doesn't you're going to need to have the nerve to move on that's all and honestly in today's world like i had none of as a growing up child teen um the online community is quite a good resource and people give their honest opinion Mm -hmm. and i think in especially in in our diabetes community 
if somebody's had a good experience with a doctor for teens or a doctor for kiddos or a doctor for real little littles or college age kind of connection doctors, um, it it can that's one thing that I think it can help to ask because people are very happy to share when they've had a good experience. Yeah. Listen, feel free to go into my Facebook group and ask specifically about certain doctors. I don't mind if you do that. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised that that group has gotten big enough now where you might actually get a couple of answers. We're starting right. to get to the point where people are bumping into each other in like Costco's and wearing shirts <laughs> from the podcast and going, oh my God, I listen to that podcast too. So you might actually find more people than you think. I mean, unless you're in a very rural place, but you know. Right. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. So here's a question I have no idea how to answer. Um, there's a stomach bug going around. This person asks me directly, have I ever had to take Arden to the ER for not being able to manage blood sugars and ketones uh, when she was vomiting? Seems like it's a common thing to have happen with illnesses that cause vomiting. I will tell you that when I see this time of year comes up and people start posting about my kids throwing up, what do I do? I'm thrilled that I made that Facebook page because people who know what to do come pouring in. I don't think Arden's ever vomited in her life. Wow. Yeah. She doesn't get that's- yeah. That's amazing. She doesn't get sick. I don't no one here throws up. Like it's we're not a throwing up family. <laughs> um so uh Arden's never vomited. Um she gets sick incredibly infrequently, which I think is just obviously her her stellar autoimmune system is just very strong. <laughs> it can kill nearly <laughs> in, anything, Jenny. In one way. <laughs> oh right? my god. Your thyroid, your pancreas, an illness. Just it runs kill it rough off. shot over everything. Um, just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. But but she um she just doesn't get sick like this. I, yeah. she's never had a stomach virus. And Arden's also uh she's a bit of a warrior. I mean, she she would choke something down if she had to. She wouldn't like mm-hmm. it, but she would do it. Um, having said that, she has had the flu, uh, as a small child. And mm-hmm. I do remember that week of my life very unfondly, uh, which I don't think is a word, but it was not, a, uh, I also had the flu. So she had the flu. I had the flu and she was only a couple of years in the diabetes and we were still using needles in a meter. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember giving her like small sips of Gatorade to try to keep her. I basically, what I did was I flipped the whole process around in my head. And I started thinking of instead of um, how does insulin bring blood sugar down, I started thinking about how does how do carbs bring blood sugar up? Like how do I bump mm-hmm. the you know bump and nudge the other way basically? And mm-hmm. that that is what we ended up doing. There was a time I actually gave her a lollipop to suck on because mm-hmm. I thought this is it. Like she gonna she's going like like her blood sugar was falling during this flu. She wouldn't eat anything, and I pulled out a lollipop and I was like, here, suck on this. And that worked. I don't know, though. Like, it, I saw a lot of people talking about it recently. So has it been going around? It has. Honestly, I would say in the past month, I've had so many kiddos mm-hmm. who have had some stomach bug of some kind. And I think defining, too, I would hope that these days most people realize that the flu is not a stomach bug. Right. Two different things. They're very much two different things, mm-hmm. um, which is why when you said she had the flu, she did not have a stomach bug. No, she, she just was she so had... sick she couldn't eat anything. Yes, which correct. Gave us a similar problem, you know. Correct. Yeah. Um, but a, a true stomach bug usually runs its course pretty quickly, for the most part. It's usually about forty-eight to maybe seventy-two-ish hours. Um, 
one to two of those days being the real like vomiting and possibly like diarrhea, Mm -hmm. um, not being able to take very much in. If that's the case, insulin adjustment for the most part usually needs to be taken down. If you're thinking about um, digestion, you don't get as much absorption, even with the things that you are able to possibly take in, Mm -hmm. it just gets passed through. Um, So, which brings in the concept of, well, what do I do about dropping blood sugars? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Overall with a stomach bug where food intake has really taken a nosedive, taking insulin doses down by 20, 25, 30% and a base basal amount. And then for any food that is able to be taken in, whether it's Gatorade or popsicles or jello or, you know, some type of electrolyte beverage with some carbohydrate in it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't dose unless you know that it's going to stay in. Yeah. Yeah. Really? No, I, I, that was the one that those are the, that was the moment where I thought, I, I mean, if her blood sugar goes to 150 or 180 or 200, I'll bring it down slowly from there, but I'm not going to try to get ahead of it when I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's cautionary and kind of the question of, well, when do we end up going to the emergency department? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sooner that you start, not that you're not paying attention already to blood sugar, especially with the technology we have today, it's kind of hard to ignore what a CGM is showing you. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the case that you've been paying attention, um, and you can start to see things happening one way or another, make adjustments sooner than later is, is really it, right? Okay. Fluid status is also really important with a stomach bug um, because if food or anything is coming out either way, you're really losing hydration. You're, so you have to make sure to replace that. Mm-hmm. Um, hydration often is more of the reason that I see people end up going in because they literally can't keep anything down. Okay. Um, which then with diabetes, water or anything, they just can't keep it. Then we're looking at DKA, right? We're looking at even DKA at a much lower value based on the fact of ketones, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you could be in DKA at a lower glucose value, because ketones have climbed so much because you're dehydrated, you're not putting any food in, you're right. So yeah. there, are, there are bigger things in the picture there that do need to be managed. Um, I always also recommend that if with diabetes, you go to the emergency, as soon as you get there and you know that you're going to be at least admitted to the emergency department, mm-hmm. ask for an endocrine consult. Okay. Right away. Yeah. Right away. Because... Mm-hmm. I mean, emergency doctors, they see everything. They're a really good team of people, but diabetes is not their specialty. Mm-hmm. It's it's just not. Um, don't let them take your insulin pump off. Don't let them disconnect your insulin or yeah. not give you your insulin. If you've got a basal injected insulin, you know, bring it along with you right. <laughs> for the safety of knowing that you, you could give it if you needed to. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the big reason that I always say, let's get an endocrine consult going there because you need somebody on your team who really does understand, understand yeah, because, a bit better. Right. Because you can't, you can't, even though you're in this fairly dire situation, you can't stop taking insulin because you're, you're going to Correct. go into DK and it could be a person who sees a low blood sugar, their first, thought might be we'll take the insulin away but your thoughts got to be iv glucose drip we'll fight Correct. this that way um right yeah it, 
okay. You know, it's funny as you were talking about this, I swear to you all, all of my anxiety from the first time someone explained this to me when Arden was first like diagnosed came like rushing came back. back into my chest because I remember thinking, so there's going to be a time when this process in her body that we have to keep going artificially with this insulin becomes impossible to keep going. And if we stop the insulin, she's going to just die a different way. Like you, you like that is how it right. felt, how it felt when she was little, you know, um, yeah. you really made, I got flushed while you were talking. Sorry. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I know. That's why I wanted to ask the question, uh, ask the question because I know how scary it is, especially in the beginning. And especially if you're prone to this sort of thing. And I do see that sometimes kids get this illness. Sometimes some of them get it every year. You, you yeah. Know? And so, um, and I think another one too, depending on, as you just said, your child is one who, you know, is going to get this at some point, make sure that that's a discussion within your endo visit at least once a year to revise or revisit what your plan of action has been. How has it worked? Yeah. Because then if you can see what didn't work, you can improve upon that for next time. Mm-hmm. We did this and we did this. And we still ended up having to go to the emergency apartment. We still couldn't get around it at home. Right. What can we do better or more aggressively next time to avoid going to emergency? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right into another question that's similar. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna say first that the first time someone you know through the emergency line told me. I had to inject a unit and a half of insulin to clear Arden's ketones, ketones. When, I, when I couldn't get her to eat anything. I was like, no. Right? You're like, no, no, no. No, that seems sugar. wrong. Yeah. yeah. I think you're wrong. Right. <laughs> Lady on the phone, I'm not doing that. And then I right. I, I just, I, I said to Kelly, I'm like, they told me I have to give her insulin. She's like, but she can't eat anything. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it. And and I did it and it worked and I yeah. was stunned, you know. So it's knowing counterintuitive. That ratio, yeah, yeah, it really is. So, your, to your point about constantly being aware of of what you're going to do, your steps, that ratio is a good thing to know about as well. You know, how many, Absolutely. Well, how much insulin are we going to use to clear ketones? Uh, mm-hmm. Next question is, I feel like my son has been sick more in the last year since diagnosis than any other time in his life. Is this in my head or do type ones get common colds easier? When do you feel like you can trust that the other important adults in your life ooh, uh, to care for you? This is a two-part question. Hold on. Um, all right, let's go with the first part first. Okay. Do people with type one get sick easier, Jenny? I'm going to say no, but with a little added note there. Okay. Right. Um, so people with diabetes in general, that is well managed with lower variants would be less likely to get sick frequently mm-hmm. only because the stress factor of variable blood sugar and or numbers that are higher which leaves your body stressed already right. those aren't in the picture right so the more variable and the higher your blood sugars are the more likely that that stress on your body is allowing an illness to actually also make its entrance and that your body can't fight it effectively. Right. That's the easiest that I can kind of describe that. So because we're slightly post COVID right now, 
um, we're post-COVID. Right. We're post-COVID-ish. Let's say that. Um, <laughs> I'll use as an example, when COVID first happened, everybody was yelling, why is someone calling me? Do not call me. I'm very busy. <gasps> but you're so important. I'm busy, everybody wants Jenny. to talk to you, No, Scott. stop it. Um, <laughs> everybody was like, you know, remember it was, you know, it's like, well, we want to vaccinate the, the people who are at risk. And then there's that big argument that you hear people say, well, I have type 1 diabetes, I'm at risk. And then someone says, I have type 1 diabetes, that doesn't put me at any more risk than anybody else. And you're like, okay, great. It's going to be fun online. Uh, Anyway, um, to your point, that someone, I'm going to just use you as an example, who, you know, eats a pretty clean diet and whose blood sugar is very stable and managed and lower, almost normal. We've never asked your A1C. Isn't that interesting? You know, we've never (laughs) once said that. Wouldn't it be great if it was eight? <laughs> if you were like, <laughs> oh my God. Wouldn't it be great if you're like, oh, I'm a pretty steady seven, eight, eight, right around there usually. And everybody would be like, why have I been listening to this stupid podcast? Scott would be like, oh my God, what <laughs> have I done? I'd be like, Jenny, you're not coming on anymore. What the, but um, anyway, I'm not going to ask Gary one thing. But somebody who's got, just cracked me up. I've never thought of that before. Isn't that funny? We've been doing this for years. It has, never, it has never occurred to me to ask Gary one thing. Yes. Well, I'm happy. I mean, I don't care. I talk about it all the time. My patients ask me and I tell them all the time. So my last one was 5.5. Oh, thank God. I mean, for me, not for you. you (laughs) Well, that's very nice. Um, But so (laughs) so somebody in your situation, I would think that for reasons you just stated, you're healthier to begin with, right? And that I don't know that other people see 180 all day as – because it might be the best they've ever been able to accomplish, you know? But to give an example, last night, so Arden's working on this big project for school and she got all like hunkered down with it. And I wasn't home and she's been doing more on her own. And I think her sight went a little funky or she was mm-hmm. too sedentary or something happened. And Arden had like a 175 blood sugar for like six hours. And, mm-hmm. and by the end of the night, She's like, my back hurts and my ankle is sore. And she did not feel good from her blood sugar just being 170 for like six hours. So, you know, if you can think about what that could do to somebody over six hours, what if you're always living like that? You know, like what else is happening to your body? So, um, so just getting type one diabetes does not make you automatically a a more sick person. Right. No, it does not. If you're not maintaining your, your blood sugars. That could be difficult on your. Body. It could be difficult. Could, right. Correct. Okay. Yes. I we have so many questions here that are right around this, and we have a couple minutes left. So, why does blood sugar either go low when sick or high, and then after illness, sometimes you need a higher basal? Is that higher basal temporary? So, I th- isn't this different for everybody? How illness impacts you, or not really? I've found that it's definitely different for everybody. I would say the. The grand majority of people, it is if you have something like a respiratory bug, sinus infection, some type of bronchial something or mm-hmm. another, you will usually experience a rise in insulin need during the illness. In mm-hmm. fact, after having had diabetes long enough, you might even find that going back in your records before you even had symptoms, you had higher blood sugars for a couple of days. And they may have seemed odd. And then finally, one morning you wake up with stuffy head, kind of sore throat, you Mm -hmm. know, not feeling the greatest. Those 
climbing blood sugars, even before you were symptomatic are often because your body was fighting something off. It was trying to manage and deal with something. Right. But most people have a higher insulin need during an illness, especially the height of the illness, really where you're not feeling well at all. Mm -hmm. And then sort of a slide back down to where you were before a baseline of need. Stomach bugs can be a little different. Stomach bugs could reduce your insulin need during, and because it takes some time for your digestive system to recoup Mm -hmm. in the aftermath, your insulin needs could actually stay low for a week, give or take. Um, And then they start to go back up to more normal. Um, If you're the kind of person who's found that an illness really drops your insulin needs And then after your insulin needs climb up, I mean, do they climb back up to where you were before you were sick? Mm -hmm. Then they're not necessarily higher. They look higher than they were while you were sick, but they're just kind of going back Back to to where they were. Right. This is an offbeat question, but do you take probiotics or do you? I do take a probiotic. You do? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Like every day? In the morning. In the morning. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Yeah. A refrigerated one. Do you take? I was mixed. Are you sure to take refrigerated ones? You were always told to take refrigerated ones? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm not that was from my naturopathic doctor. That's not like, you know, just Googling information or whatever, but yeah. that was my naturopath had said, if you're going to get a really good probiotic, get one that's been refrigerated that you keep refrigerated. So do you take vitamin D? I do take vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Zinc? Every day I take zinc. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We're going to talk about that one time. It just popped into my head just now. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> We're going to talk about this. Um, not now, but, but, uh, and I've taken them a long time. It's not yeah. just been the past two weird years or anything. Right. I mean, those have been things that I've taken for a while. For a long time. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, um, I even notice if I don't take iron, um, it takes a couple of weeks of me forgetting iron to, for my nails to start breaking breaking yeah mm-hmm. like it just out of nowhere like i'll touch something and they'll just split and then when it happens i think oh have i not been taking that iron and <laughs> you know i go right back to it and it's that's very interesting okay I, we're gonna have to do supplement conversations at some point okay well cool. jenny for now thank you very much for doing this with me absolutely it's I always fun it. jenny smith is on the show and everybody loves jenny thank you jennifer integrateddiabetes.com. That's where you can go hire Jenny. Thanks also to InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Don't forget to go to InPenToday.com. I did that great ad read in the middle. Uh, don't make it a waste, okay? Like, let's let's not make me look silly here. I did a good job. You, you go do your part. I also want to thank US Med and remind you to go to USMed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. Get your free benefits check today. Getting your diabetes supplies does not have to be a hassle. Links to the advertisers are in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. If you can't remember the links that I have said ad nauseum in this hour. Before I go, I'm going to remind you that the Facebook group is popping. Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. It's a private group. So you're going to have to answer a few questions to prove to the Facebook overlords that you're a real person. But then after that, you're right in. Did you hear that? I gave you a, it's like a sound effect, really. But it's just my hands rubbing together. But right in. Uh, What else do I want to tell you? Diabetes Pro Tips are available at juiceboxpodcast.com. 
in your podcast app at diabetesprotip.com. But if you're going to use your app, just go back to episode 210. That's where it begins with an episode called Newly Diagnosed and Starting Over. Can't remember that? Join the Facebook group. Go up to the featured section. There's beautiful lists right there of all the series, not just the ProTip series, but Defining Diabetes, Defining Thyroid, the Variables series, How We Eat. There's so many to choose from. Actually, I can't remember them all now, which is why I just said there's so many to choose from. What else do I need you to do? Well, have a good day. I mean, I definitely want you to do that. Have a good day. I had a good day today. Um, drink plenty of water. You know what I mean? Like, stay hydrated. They say it's good for the skin, your eyes, clarity. If you're using insulin, keeps that insulin moving around your body very nicely. You do not want to be using man-made insulin without being hydrated. It's going to get funky town on you. Drink a glass of water and then have another one. What else? Hmm. Have you said hello to a stranger recently? I always find that to be uplifting. Maybe some eye contact and a, hey, how are you? Or good day. That kind of thing. That works. Uh, let somebody in in traffic. That's a good thing to do, too. Somebody wants to get over, just go, yeah, come on over. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel relaxed inside. Like, I did a good thing. You know, and it doesn't hurt you, really. You can just pass them later. Anything else? What do you do to, to kind of give back to the world and yourself, to yourself personally, inside, your deepest, darkest self? How do you lighten that load? Right? You go for a walk. You sing in the shower. Do you sing in the shower? You crazy kid. You do, don't you? I don't. I watch YouTube videos in the shower. Nobody else does that? Am I being mocked silently through the ether? I don't appreciate it. Yeah, like throw up a YouTube video. I throw it up on the side of the shower. You know, check it out. Learn something new. Sometimes I'm learning about like computer stuff I need for the podcast or cars or I don't know. Comedy. A lot of times it's comedy. Yeah. I just found a guy the other day I really liked. Uh, What's his name? Sadiq Ali, Ali Sadiq. I think it's Ali Sadiq. I found him. Uh, I found him interesting. Told a good story. Let me see what his name is. I'm really sure it's Ali Sadiq. It is. Really funny guy. Um, actually, just put up his uh, last uh, special on the YouTube. I really enjoyed it. This is um, is not usually what we talk about here, but Ali Sadiq. I thought you were funny, man, and. Uh, Trying to tell other people about you. Told a great story. Good storytellers are hard to find. What else do I want to say to you? It's very late here. My eyes are bugging out of my head. You know when your eyes get like hot because they're dry? I'm up to that part right now. I should go to sleep, right? This is the last thing I have to do tonight. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to say this. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it when you uh, leave ratings and reviews for the podcast, especially when they're good ratings and reviews, like five stars. And you're like, oh, my God, I love this podcast, like stuff like that. That's stuff I love. I love it when you join the Facebook group, Facebook group, very proud of. Um, You can catch me on the Instagram if you want to. Please go to the T1D Exchange and take that survey for me. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Really, honestly, can I just speak to you like people for a second? Like I know in the beginning, I'm like on a time limit and I'm like. T1D exchange, but it really is easy to do. And your answers, which are also simple answers to simple questions, genuinely help people with type 1 diabetes. It really genuinely helps people. And I get money. And then I take that money and I I buy computers and I pay for my electricity. I get food. I send my kids to college. I, you know, I, I buy gas for my car. 
you know what I mean? I keep myself going. And then like me, I'm like all like kind of like, you know, financially okay. And then that allows me to make the podcast. You understand commerce, I imagine. But this this is why that's important. I get money through the ads. I get money when you fill out the survey. The survey actually helps people. It's not like I'm doing some crap thing where it's taking advantage of you or something like that. And it's meaningless. Or you're going to get like, you know, emails from like, I don't know people bugging you about buying solar panels or something like that. I mean, it's about diabetes. It helps people with diabetes. It helps me. It helps everybody. 10 minutes, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. That's a bit of a tangent. Are you still listening? This is usually, I haven't done this in a while where I've just rambled on at the end of the show. I mean, if you're still listening, you're a fan and I appreciate you extra. The people who stop listening, they're great, but you're better.